With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. By no one's demand but our own from our home office here in, I'd say, overcast, scenic, quarantined Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast powered by Two Rivers Ford, brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Our schedule has been jacked. The Titans, as of Monday morning, no new positive. COVID-19 tests. So by the time you hear this podcast, we are all hoping that they will play the Buffalo Bills on Tuesday. Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic is going to join us. He covers the Bills. We're going to talk about covering this story from both the Titans and the Bills side. Braden Gall, he's going to be on from 440 Sports. Recap the weekend in the SEC and Tennessee kind of pooping their pants against Georgia on Saturday. Before we get to those great conversations, though, and five good minutes on a little bit of Tennessee Titans reporting, I have to tell you about our friends at Two Rivers Ford, and not just about our friends at Two Rivers Ford, but this cool initiative that they have launched and that they are going to continue throughout the month of October. Nashville is known across the globe for being Music City. We all know this. COVID-19, though, has really, really taken a toll on the music, especially on the small local independent music venues. Two Rivers Ford has teamed up with the Music Venue Alliance of Nashville to drive the music and keep our local venues afloat. All month long, music fans everywhere can donate to help keep independent music alive in Nashville by purchasing a Drive the Music t-shirt at www.drivethemusicnashville.com. 100% of the profits go to the Music Venue Alliance here in Music City. So donate today by purchasing a t-shirt at drivethemusicnashville.com. I have just gotten mine as well. And help keep independent music alive in the 615, courtesy of our friends at Two Rivers Ford. Let's get to Matthew Fairburn. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Joining us now on the GetBeast.com Zoom line, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. He covers the Buffalo Bills. He's on the other side of this whole catastrophe that has gone down with the Tennessee Titans. Two weeks almost of a layoff. No positive tests as of the time of this podcast recording. Matthew, thank you for joining us. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know what I don't know what your what your week has been like leading up to this, but I can't even imagine given what's been going on down here. Yeah, it has been a strange week, uh, among the strangest uh, I've had since covering this team because it started off pretty normal. You know, when they tried to you know as much as they could, you know, take it as a normal week, which is hard to do because. You know, you don't know whether you're playing a game on Sunday. You don't know whether it'll get pushed, whether it'll get canceled, whether it's really a bye week. Um, And so Wednesday and Thursday were pretty normal. Friday, you know, is when, you know, after the game had gotten postponed, things started getting uh, a little bit different. You know, they're um, shuffling around their practice schedule. They haven't talked at all since Thursday. Um, The head coach hasn't spoken since Wednesday. So they've kind of gone – um, radio silent a little bit on the whole issue, I, I think, because they want to avoid saying something they'll regret. I, I don't think the Bills are super happy about how things have played out in terms of communication from the league and things like that. But it is a new part of uh, my daily routine is in the morning, sometime between 8 and 9 Eastern, checking to see 
if there's any more positive tests and what that could mean for the game. And it's impacting not just this week, but the following week and kind of trying to figure out how you plan. And, um, you know, they were supposed to play on Thursday night football against the Chiefs. Now that's Monday night football. For a while, people thought it would be a Sunday game. So it's just been, from a scheduling standpoint, uh, a bit of a, a mess and it's a lot to sort through. I just stand by that refresh button every morning. I'm right there with you. It uh, it has been a different kind of anxiety waiting to see whether we're going to get to work on Tuesday or not. That's That's been the biggest frustration. It's obviously gone on here a little longer with them not playing against Pittsburgh the week prior either. But you talk about the, the, the lack of availability, I guess, from the Bills standpoint. And that's something that we've gone through here with the Titans because what we're going to do with Matthews we're going to talk about like the coverage of this game specifically it's it, we could do a game preview but by the time a lot of you hear this podcast that may have expired but the story around all of this is fascinating so by by that same you know by that same token we have almost spoken to Mike Vrabel and players I mean one time in the last I would say four or five days that has made this job so much harder to do because what I mean, obviously, you know, it's our jobs as reporters to talk to people, whether we have availability or not, like to try and continue the coverage uh, of whatever the circumstance may be. And, and fortunately, there's enough going on here where we can continue to, uh, to have content to provide for people. But I guess from, from your perspective, Matthew, like just how much harder has it made your job not being able to talk to these guys on a regular basis like we normally get to. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. I mean, it's been one of those years already um, yeah. where, you know, the, the Pro Football Writers Association has a, you know, a, a policy that the league and the Players Association have agreed on that, you know, kind of got thrown out the window at the beginning of all this because, you know, among the required things are, you know, four days of open locker room uh, each you know, practice week and open locker room after games. Obviously, we, we haven't been there to interview people in person at all during all of this. Um, we have been able to watch practice, but they shut that down at the end of last week. So, you know, from the Titans perspective or from, you know, the Patriots perspective, whatever it may be, these teams that are closing their facilities, uh, I think they have sort of a, an out, right? They're like, well, the facility's closed. It's hard to get these guys we all know it's not that hard to get them on Zoom uh, because they did it all off season. But that's at least one thing. The Bills facility has been open. Yesterday we got a notification: "Hey, we're going to practice today, um, but you guys can't come." And well, at least and you got a notification. Right. They're you're holding secret practice. Right. Then there. Then that you have that whole issue. leak. It's a whole. It's a whole. I mean, these slaps. I'm so. I'm so fed up. If I wasn't so ready for them to play a football game, I would be even more fed up than I already am. But I'm sorry. Continue. And you're right, though. It's there. The league has some influence on this as well. The league isn't about with everything else going on. Isn't about to put its foot down on whether we get to talk to guys. And so they know they can get away with it, and so they do. So um, it, it's a little crazy from our standpoint. I mean, the PFWA policy says the head coach is supposed to be available four times each week during the practice week. Uh, Sean McDermott was available twice last week. Now, I guess the practice week is still going on, so he could be available today or tomorrow, but I don't think that's the plan. And we haven't heard from him since Wednesday morning. And their whole thing is, you know, they don't want to answer hypothetical questions. But at this point, um, there's plenty to ask about how the league handled this, uh, how they've handled it with juggling multiple game plans, um, how players feel about getting on a plane and traveling to Nashville to play this team that's had a ton of positive tests. All these things that we don't really uh, get their perspective on, which is fine, uh, but you know, it, it has made it a little bit of a challenge. But frankly, since the beginning of the shutdown and everything else, um, and really in how I try to do my job. And like you kind of alluded to that the job is to, you know, make interesting content and to talk to people and, and write interesting stories or uh, put together interesting podcasts in your case. And the best, most interesting content usually comes when it's not set up through the team. Uh, at least for me, in my experience, so, you know, Agreed. you get in, you get in touch with some random uh, somebody that somebody hasn't heard from in a while, or you get in touch with somebody that you have a good relationship with that you don't need to go through the team. Uh, all that stuff is usually better than the canned access, anyways. And so I, you know, kind of 
train myself to do the job that way, which pays off in times like these when um, you don't have the formal access and you don't have the, the spoon fed canned quotes that frankly probably wouldn't have been all that interesting, but it's still a, a matter of there is a policy in place. There is, you know, you do have sort of a, a, a responsibility to, to speak to the public, to speak to these people that are consuming your product. But uh, usually I think we're used to it at this point where the media is pretty low on the, the list of priorities, especially when they're trying to navigate a pandemic. Sure. And some, some of it you understand, but also like, you know, let's, let's not, let's not throw all the rules out just because, just because they can, uh, you, you mentioned, and, and the creativity, I mean, you're, you're right. Like the creativity rises to the top, especially at times like this, cause we're all say we're all feeding from the same zoom trough on a regular basis. Kevin Byard, one of the three people to talk the other day says one quote and we all run with it and everybody, you know, it's, it's, it's incumbent upon us to make it a better story or a better podcast or a better streaming show, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. If we could go back though, to something that you mentioned about players specifically bills players and the, the, the game plan, the fluctuation of plans leading up to this game. And more importantly than anything, the idea that they're going to have to travel to Nashville, Tennessee, where uh, the COVID-19 situation is lax at best to play the team that has had the first NF, the NFL's first outbreak from, from what access you've been able to have to these guys. And I know you wrote about this at the athletic.com, by the way, well worth your subscription where you can get Matthew's work. You can get our friend Joe Rexroad, uh, Adam Vingan, all of their great writers covering all manner of different sports, uh, especially the NFL. But uh, what, what has been the, the, the tenor of the conversations surrounding how much risk these guys are willing to put themselves in by playing the Tennessee Titans tomorrow. Yeah, you know, the I would say the overarching theme that I got from asking players variations of that question is that they don't really have, you know, what choice do they have, right? You know, they're not – I asked Mitch Morse, you know, do you trust the league to put player safety first when they make this decision? Cause at last we spoke to all these guys, they hadn't made a decision on the game. And right. when I asked that, he, he said, you know, I have to, um, you know, you know, he's everybody opted in um, and they understood that that would come with risks. They know what league they play in uh, player safety hardly ever comes first um, except in the press releases. And, you know, I think, they get that. They know that um, there's a, a pretty significant risk involved. Are they, you know, super comfortable with it? Probably not. But I think a lot of these guys have done a, a good job of blocking out all of that stuff, not just this week, but they had to do it last week. The Raiders had that charity event where guys were walking around without masks. And that was on a Monday before they played the Bills on a Sunday. You'd, look at the incubation period and when positive tests could pop up, you know, and they had one uh, on Sunday. So it's something that every NFL team has had to navigate. I think the bills certainly are in a unique spot because they're the first ones playing the Titans since this became kind of a wide scale outbreak in their building. Uh, the, I think some of them are taking a, a bit of comfort in the fact that no Vikings tested positive after playing the Titans. I think they're looking at that and saying, all right, we can play this game, get to Nashville, get to the hotel, lock yourself down, go to the stadium, play the game and get out of there. And hoping that they don't come up with any positive tests because so far that, you know, since August, they've they've been pretty, you know, clean in that regard. So they're trying to navigate a bit of a minefield. They had the Raiders who had a positive test last week. They have the Titans, they have the Chiefs who have been in the middle of all this. Um, I think they only had one positive test, luckily. The Jets, uh, luckily, was a false positive, and then the Patriots after that. So uh, they basically are running the gamut of all these teams that have been involved in this uh, and hoping that they can come through it on the other side without too much trouble. There's very little comfort that any of us can take in the situation that is that that we are dealt with right now. And of course, you know, we understood everybody understood what was going to happen when you play in the middle of a global pandemic. Like these these are risks that you run. But what what does seem to provide some kind 
of comfort is is that the games themselves and nothing is nothing is definitive at this point certainly but the games themselves do not appear to be these super spreader events like people may have originally thought you mentioned the vikings no positive tests after playing the titans the last time that the tennessee titans were able to play a football game you see what what you've what you've just mentioned with the with the raiders and the chiefs uh, as well with these positive tests and not seeing the infection spread at least to the teams that these other teams have played. Uh, this, is, this is something that the league, I think, wasn't necessarily sure about. None of us were really sure about, but it does make you feel a little, at least a little better about the games themselves moving forward. Uh, the players, though, like, I, it's, I, I've, I've been – I guess I don't really know – I don't want to say I don't know how seriously to take them, Matthew, because, you know, and Titans players, it's a different conversation, right? These guys at this point are, I had a guy tell me, you know, health and safety be damned. I want my paycheck and we want to get out there and play these games. And a lot of that is the case, no matter whether you're a part of a COVID outbreak or you're just trying to get a game in so that you don't miss that week's check. But I guess when you're talking to the Bills players, about this stuff, how much of a grain of salt do you take? Uh, do you take their answers with when you pose them these questions? Because football players, I mean, they're inherently putting themselves at risk on a regular basis. Now we're asking them to consider further risk, something that you know they can't see, they don't know, they they don't know all of the all of the tangible effects until after they've had it, and even some of them uh, asymptomatic for the most part. I guess how have you kind of consumed? consumed uh, your interactions with them with that in mind? I think it's obvious that these guys want to play. Some of them have come right out and said it. And most of the Bills players we talked to came right out and said they want to play. And they weren't overly concerned about the virus. Now, it's going to be different for every guy. Some guys have families. Some guys have different situations. But that game check for every guy is different too. You know, some guy, if they miss this game, is missing a huge uh, paycheck. And the later you get in your career, uh, those things are, are few and far between, right? Those big, you know, paychecks. So that has been right near the top of the list of concerns. And frankly, I think it's the number one reason why when people talk about, oh, we can't trust these players to follow these protocols and keep the virus out of the building. It's like they have the number one motivation that they need. And it's not even their health and safety. It's their money. Uh, I think that's before everything. That's the only reason the NFL is playing games to begin with is so that they can make money. Uh, they're not, you know, if, if player safety were number one, if that, if that were the most important thing, I don't think they would be playing this Bill's Titans game, but they needed to get it in because they had already adjusted the schedule and they couldn't do it again. And so they're, they tried to ride it out as long as possible. And right now it looks like they have a chance to get it in, but the reason they're doing it is to make money. Um, that it's the only reason the NFL does most things, frankly. And that's a major motivating factor for a lot of these players. And so you're right when they, when they talk about the risks and the league, uh, and whether, you know, how, how much player safety is being factored in. I don't think they think about that during the week because the bills are looking at themselves as a four and O team. And, you know, then there's the financial point of this too. So, uh, they don't want to give up games. They don't want to disrupt the flow of um, what has been the best start here in quite some time. They're, they're looking like a team that could not only get to the playoffs, but make a run in the playoffs. And they want that to continue. And so that's why I say I think a lot of them are blocking it out. And I don't think they're really uh, kidding about that. I'm sure, you know, some of them go home and, and you know, think about their kids or, or, or their wife or whoever. Um, you know, in their family. But I also think they, they look at, like you said, that, that Vikings game and think, look, I can play in this game. Uh, if I get it, you know, there's treatments out there. I'm, you know, at an NFL facility where I'm going to get the best care I can get. And, you know, this thing will be no big deal. So I think most of these guys, when they signed up and showed up to training camp, did it because, the drop-off in pay was substantial if you opted out, number one. And number two, they knew that there would be risks and they wanted to play anyways. And um, they're not necessarily trying to hide that fact. 
Yeah, I mean, in, in all professional sports and collegiate sports at this point, I mean, never never before has the greed been just laid so bare in front of us all to see exactly why uh, we are playing these games. And, and you know, listen, I'm, I'm happy about it because it means that I get to work uh, during football season, and and yeah, we have the same financial motivation, right? These to want these, these things to to go off. This is the trade-offs that uh, some people got to be willing to make, I guess, at this point. But it is uh, it is interesting to see how it plays out. So the I mean the actual the actual Buffalo Bills, like the team itself, undefeated football team with what improbably the top seed in the AFC on the line for this particular game, with the Chiefs having lost something that I did not. Uh, recognize was a was a factor for seeding as, as I looked at ESPN.com last night strength of victory the Bills now in the one seed the Titans have a greater strength of victory over the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers I'm still not certain how all that came to be but regardless uh, the implications of this game week five though it may be are are pretty substantial and this Bills team I don't know and again from an outsider's perspective I guess I didn't realize that the leap that they were going to take this year would be so great. Josh Allen is substantially more accurate. I think more, more, more than any other development of this year for them, at least from, from viewing them from afar, it appears to be that he, it, he himself is a better player. He still has these, these potential for disaster plays, but now there are less of them. He's not turning it over. Uh, as as people feared he might continue to do over the course of his career, what was this trajectory expected from uh, from from somebody who has covered this team for several years now? I don't think I I can sit here and tell you I expected him to be playing at an MVP level through the first month. I'm not sure too many people outside of the building could have said that. I, I think the expectations internally were sky high for this guy, especially. Uh, you know, third year with the same coordinator, uh, adding Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis to an offense that that was already, um, you know, much improved from the one Josh Allen had as a rookie. But the way he has developed has been pretty incredible. And now he has to, you know, find that that level for a sustained period of time and, and a, you know, over the course of a full season. But what he's done in the first month, uh, you're right, he's much more accurate uh, with the football. He's way more confident in the offense in general and, and how he's operating it. He's putting guys in positions to make plays. He's not really turning the football over. Um, he, he still has a fumbling problem, but he's really limited the interceptions quite a bit. So this is a completely – it's funny to think back a year ago, week five, the Bills and Titans played, and both of these teams are completely different. Uh, in a in a better you know they've both improved um you know the titans because that was the last game they played marcus Mariota, um and the bills have just gotten great development from their offense as a whole i don't think the bills are quite as strong defensively but um josh allen has carried this football team which is not something i expected uh coming into the the season he has been the reason they're winning games uh he's throwing the ball down the field much more accurately than he did he's hitting all three levels of the field He's not leaning on his legs as much as he used to either. This is all, you know, throwing for the most part. Outside of week one when they, they ran a bunch of designed runs, after that, he hasn't really run the ball much at all. Um, he'll sneak it in near the goal line. Um, you know, he's sort of their goal line back in that way. But he's doing this all with his arm. Uh, we'll see how long he keeps it up. But the way he's playing right now, uh, he looks like a guy that that could you know enter the MVP conversation and and be you know a guy that can lead a team to 11 12 wins and that's uh something that a lot of people doubted over his first two years in the league but you know he's shown tremendous strides and, and really worked on his game and and it shows it's this whole offense uh, runs as he runs so Say we are to stay on course for this game to take place on Tuesday night. God willing, uh, football gods willing, that this continues on the uh, on the correct trajectory. If the Bills are to stay undefeated and beat the Tennessee Titans, what most has to happen? I think you know Josh Allen probably has to keep up some semblance of the pace that that he was on in the first month of the season. I don't know how much you can count on the Bills defense the way you used to be able to, but 
the formula for them winning is the defense making a handful of key stops, whether that's getting a turnover or, you know, forcing a, a few punts or, you know, turnover on downs, whatever it may be to slow down an offense, which they weren't able to do in the second half against the Rams, but they were bailed out because Josh Allen played so well. So I think the defense needs to just do enough, make a handful of stops. Uh, you know, don't let the Titans put up 30. Uh, and Josh Allen needs to maintain at least, uh, you know, 80 to 90% of what he's been doing because I don't know that anybody's going to maintain uh, quite the level that, that he's been playing at. Uh, the, it would be if you, you know, extrapolate his numbers over a 16-game season, they would be absurd. So he doesn't need to throw for 404 touchdowns every week or put up five touchdowns like he did against the Rams. But uh, making the big plays has been what has really unlocked this offense, the, the plays deep down the field uh, that flip drives. So uh, as long as Josh Allen keeps playing that way and take care, taking care of the football and the Bills' defense manages uh, just enough, this is a team that's going to have a chance to beat just about anybody. And they're entering a stretch here, um, you know, with the Titans and Chiefs in back-to-back weeks where they have a chance to, to take control of that top seed in the AFC. Uh, and we're about to find out what they're made of. And if the Bills somehow lose to these COVID Tennessee Titans, what, in Matthew Fairburn's opinion, has, has gone wrong in order for that to happen? You know, I think there is some danger in this – layoff the bills have had um you know and i don't know that there's any way to measure any of this it's more you know kind of a a feeling sort of thing but you would think i know the titans haven't practiced all that much other than yesterday um you know they had the walkthrough on saturday but there's got to be sort of a galvanizing effect for these titans right you know everybody's kind of taking a dump on them the last two weeks and talking about how they're you know breaking protocols and they should be forfeiting and you know they should be you know forfeiting multiple games I I feel like there's a bit of an us against the world deal that they can certainly play off of and they're going to be I would imagine pretty charged up to just be on the field together uh, playing in a game and you know from a football standpoint I think the Titans win if they get Derrick Henry going The, the Bills run defense has been shaky at times this year and a guy like Derrick Henry can certainly expose that in a big way. So uh, there's that. And if they're able to to not only put pressure on Josh Allen, but actually bring him down, those are two very different things. Uh, not a lot of teams have been able to bring him down in the pocket. He's uh, not only elusive, but he's really strong. So he breaks tackles pretty easily. Um, bit of an old school formula, I guess. Run the ball and get to the quarterback, I, I think, are are the two ways that you beat the Bills. And the Titans have certainly the – the ingredients to to utilize that formula and like I said I think there's a lot up in the air that we don't know of how these two teams will come out in terms of energy and, and motivation level and um, you know I think the Titans are gonna gonna be pretty charged up uh, I could be wrong but I feel like if if it were me uh, that would be it could go one of two ways it could bring the team together or it could cause the season to go off the tracks a little bit so it's going to be a a really unique game to watch from that standpoint. And I can honestly say I have no feeling one way or the other. This has been such a crapshoot for the past 12 to 13 days, but we will see hopefully how it plays out on Tuesday. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. You can follow him at Matthew Fairburn on the socials, theathletic.com. Well worth your subscription. Uh, Thanks, bud, for uh, for hopping on, and uh, I hope – I hope things go smoothly from here on out and uh, continue to stay safe and well. Thanks so much. Yeah, hopefully there's a, a game to watch tomorrow night. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast on the GetBeast.com Zoom line. Promo code BEAST2020 saves you 20% off on all of their fine grooming products, even if you're follicling challenged, like our good friend Braden Gall from 440 Sports. How about that for a transition? Hi, bud. <laughs> I, I could use some of that product, and I've got space for advertisers, Buck. So don't – I'm not – it's not – it's – it's not beneath me to, to go and snake advertisers. I will do it if I have to. That's totally fine. All I will say <laughs> is I have much better hair than you, and so the hair product company probably going to ride with me. I just, but your, your, any advances are welcome. 
Yeah, right. And I and I am a better test case for them, right? Like they like if you can save me, then you can save anybody. <laughs> and so I, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, this is listen. I I, uh, I welcome I welcome any and all uh, any and all <laughs> endorsement poaching if that is the route that you choose. No, Brayden Gall has a new exciting venture that we have not talked to him about yet since he has launched it at 440 Sports. Many fine podcasts, lamestream media. They have the home run throwback. They got football and other f words. Our good friends. Uh, many great podcasts available for your consumption. Today, we're going to talk about the SEC specifically, given what happened between Tennessee Georgia, Tennessee and Georgia feeling like the only normal thing that happened in the SEC this weekend. But uh, why don't you tell the people about what you have going on at 440 before we begin the actual conversation? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, we, we are a lot in a similar way that A to Z sports is serving people on their phones. I think that was the goal of 440 sports was to sort of pivot the, the legacy media restrictions and infrastructure that sort of hold back what media is today to sort of match it with the people and the consumers that are no longer consuming media in that same way. And so I think the idea was to get back to just talking about sports again, no more hot takes, no more embrace debate. It's not about, um, yelling at each other. It's not about winning a quarter hour. It's not about any of the stuff that sort of is forced upon you if you consume legacy media. And I think the idea was to sound like a bunch of people talking about their favorite teams, build some really intimate communities that that enjoy the people and the subject matter uh, in a way that that I think Nashville is largely underserved. So we've got a great Preds podcast if you're a diehard Preds fan. Uh, I think Adam Vingan and I show is as good as anybody else's in the market. We, we you know, we think we're going to give you access to Adam uh, better than anybody else in, in town. We've got, like, as you mentioned, we've got six or seven Titan shows. So if you're a Titans fan, we've got you covered there. We've got an SEC variety show, which hopefully makes you laugh a little bit. You learn a little bit about football as well. Uh, Lamestream Sports is about media. And Austin and Zach, of course, the founders of A to Z Sports, were on our latest episode where, again, nobody in the market is talking about the media and the market. So that's what we wanted to do. And, and Steve Cavendish and I are doing that show. That's every Friday. Um, so there's, I got the daily coming up every how many, single day. How many podcasts are you doing? How many podcasts yeah, 12, are you doing yourself? We, we launched out of the gate with 12 shows. We got the best Vanderbilt podcast in the market as well. I am no, doing no, no. Don't, four. I was, okay. I'm I was about four. to say, don't divert. Four, four podcasts for Brayden Gall. That's entirely so, too much Brayden Gall. As far well, as. that's just for now. <laughs> um, we, we have... We have many, many things planned and in the works, and we're very excited about it. Because, again, I think Nashville deserves better. You guys know that at A to Z. That's why you give them the content that you give them. Uh, and I think that was the goal behind what we wanted to accomplish is give you guys a big sports menu, and you get to pick and choose what you care about. And listen whenever you want in perfect clarity. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Okay, SEC Variety Show being the topic of conversation. Uh, what the hell? Georgia, Tennessee, they led at the half. Everybody was excited. The Tennessee Valley Authority wasn't doing much in the first half, but they had a hype video, so they must be good. Uh, all of these things fall apart. Jarrett Garantano does the things that Jarrett Garantano has not yet done to this point in the season, except when it mattered in a game that you really could have said Tennessee was back if they had come out victorious. Instead, they got their asses kicked. <laughs> What the uh, hell? I, first of all, I think uh, is back is the laziest shit I've ever heard from media in my life. So I hate that that question. So I'm glad we don't have to answer that one any longer. Nope. Uh, here's the problem. Tennessee, not back. Miami, not back. Not yet. Uh, Texas, not back. All no, of them, not, straight not, into not, the sun. Not back. Um, and I, here's what's funny is if, if it was just the three turnovers – and in, in the mistakes in the second half, I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you'd have a right to be frustrated and upset with how the game unfolded. And you could say, man, we, we were there. We were this close to challenging a top five playoff caliber football team. The problem with that statement for me as I watched the game was the first series of the, of the entire game and every series after that, Georgia completely dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, even with all the nicknames and all the five-star recruits on the offensive line. They were dominated. So the only logical conclusion as I watched that game unfold during my four-year-old's birthday party, oh, good. The, the, the only logical conclusion was going to be the dam breaking, Georgia pulling away, making a couple of plays, because it's what they do. They are designed to steal your soul, sit on you, suffocate the life out of you, and then put you away with the kill shot in the fourth quarter. And that's what they did. And so, again, it, 
there's a lot of positive. Here's the, the good like, – like, it sounds like it's all negative for Tennessee, and I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think all of the goals and aspirations for Tennessee football are still very much on the table. I think it's all sitting there. If you go seven and three, you keep acquiring talent, you compete against the best teams, and you win all the games you're supposed to – uh, that's what you're supposed to do in 2020. You're not supposed to win the SEC in 2020. You, you were supposed to to build and grow. And there was a lot of learning you could do in that game against Georgia. But I, the only logical outcome is what happened. Georgia is just in a different level, in a different tier. And Tennessee's not ready for that yet. But you take steps. And, and that's the best you can hope for, I think, as a Tennessee fan. Uh, and, and again, the quarterback, you know, need to get better if you want to compete for an SEC championship. The defense needs to get better if you want to compete for an SEC championship. It, it's all just one team is rebuilding in the third year of a rebuild in the early stages, and the other team's competing for a playoff. That, that's just They're just different programs in different places right now, and that's, it's not more complicated than that, unfortunately. Is there a – is there – because all of these things are, that you're saying are totally reasonable and logical, which is what they're doing at 440 Sports and why – uh, why uh, embracing debate is so much more fun, uh, even if it's not actually valid. <laughs> it serves no purpose, but serves none, none whatsoever. But because uh, again, we don't have enough things juicing up our blood pressure in 2020. Let's argue about some stupid shit. How about that? That's the only thing that's kept me awake while the Titans are keep testing positive, <laughs> and I have no football to cover on Sundays. Yeah. It's just it's the only thing that I have at this point. Regardless, <laughs> embrace debate. Do you do anything with the quarterback? At this point, do you do you move away from Jarrett Garantano? Is there any reason? Because it, he's easy to pile on. It was not totally his fault on Saturday. Everybody saw exactly what you've just described, which is them getting manhandled on both sides of the line of scrimmage. It didn't help that Elijah Simmons went down in the middle of that game on that uh, on that chop yeah. block, and and yeah. you can you can debate the uh, the legitimacy or the uh, or the morality of something like that. But regardless, right, it happened. Uh, can they can they be any better with what's behind Garantano, or should they just kind of ride it out at this point and hand the damn ball off? I, I mean, I here's the thing: Jared Garantano has already shown you that he can, you know, not just win but handle Missouri pretty easily. He went on the road and made two huge throws against South Carolina. So if we're talking about what is the goal for Tennessee football in 2020, which again to me is acquire talent, continue to grow, win the games you're supposed to. Kentucky, Auburn, Vanderbilt, uh, you know, the, the games that you're supposed to win, uh, Jared Garantano probably gives you the best chance to win those games. And so if that's the case, then I think you have to stick with the guy who's giving you the best chance to win all the games you're supposed to win. Uh, you, if you want to throw a freshman out there against Alabama, go for it, man. Have, have fun. It, it doesn't matter who plays quarterback against Alabama. Um, and, and, you know, maybe at the end of the year when Florida comes to town, if that's a game that has a lot of value and meaning for both teams – Maybe you're starting to see the future with, with a, a, younger a younger player, Harrison Bailey, whatever. Maybe you use him against Florida at the end of the year because you're sort of already turning the page to the next season. But I think right now, with all of your goals still sort of ahead of you, and we know chaos is, is, is coming. I mean, every, all these teams are going to lose. Georgia's got Alabama this weekend. Georgia's going to have a loss probably this weekend. So everyone's going to have a loss, you know, starting next week. So – I don't think you're still far away from everything being in front of you to, to handle. So I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think making the move is fair. I think Garantano has largely been mistreated by the fan base in mm. general because he is not like they want him to be the thing that he is not. And that is the problem. Fans, it's Texas what, A&M fans. Good, are and consistent, good and consistent as a quarterback. He, he doesn't turn the football over and he makes all the right decisions. He just doesn't throw the ball perfectly every time, which is a problem. But again, what, what I see out of Jarrett Garantano is he has topped out in his abilities. You are asking him to do things that he is not capable of doing, which is to, to be the next tier of quarterback, which is what Jalen Hurts couldn't do at Alabama. They had to go to Tua. Joe Burrow was average and then became the better Joe Burrow. And, and he, he's the exception to the rule where he went from average quarterback to greatest quarterback of all time. You know, Kelly Bryant got benched at Clemson because Trevor Lawrence was the next tier of quarterback. They, they don't have that guy. And so if they had that guy, sure, make the change. But they don't have that guy. And right now, Garantano gives you the best chance to win. He's never going to be that guy. You have to go out and recruit that guy. And that's what, that's what Jeremy Pruitt's job is partly this year is to go out and get better players. Defensively, there are flaws. We know that they have not been totally healthy. The secondary – continues to be a problem are there any are there any solutions 
that they can find. Kentucky is not obviously Georgia. Kentucky is a different level of opponent, and I think that everybody who's paying close enough attention to this particular team and what Kentucky has done so far thinks that that should be a game that Tennessee should maybe not win comfortably, but should be able to handle well enough. Are, what, what fixes can be made defensively outside of the linebackers, not named Henry To'o To'o, because uh, Jeremy Banks yeah. just seems content to hit people and do nothing else. Um, <laughs> what, what can they do? I, that, that's a huge question. In a perfect Jeremy Pruitt world, what you would want is aggressive press man coverage on the outside to allow him to be creative with pressure packages and to, to really manipulate the front seven. The problem is, as you alluded to, the secondary with players not, you know, guys are playing out of position, having to play other roles. That has caused him to not do what he wants to do, in my opinion, which is roll up those corners, play press aggressive man coverage, and then get creative with the blitz packages that he wants to do. That's what he did at Alabama. It's what Florida does with Todd Grantham. And it's not working right now because they lost two corners to the NFL. That That's sort of the key to Jeremy Pruitt's defense, in my opinion. And they're not able to do that right now. They've got a couple of really nice pieces in Thompson and Taylor. They've got some nice guys back there. But they are not able to run the scheme that they want to. And I'm I would be genuinely concerned. Kentucky, again – is a team that ran the ball for over 400 yards and over seven yards a clip and lost. So there's a, which is hard to do. They are very good at running the football and the defense just held Mike Leach to two points. The first time his offense never scored in the history of his coaching career. So, so Mark Stoops can coach some defense. Pruitt is really good against Kentucky, right? He's two and O both game. You know, the first game in Neyland a couple of years ago was, uh, coming off the Georgia loss, which was the most important game in Kentucky history. They didn't even get off the bus that year, and Tennessee took advantage of them and, and arguably is the best win of Jeremy Pruitt's career so far. And then last year they went up there and, you know, without a quarterback, they, you know, Tennessee handled business. So I think it's actually totally a swing game. But this goes back to your question about the quarterback too. I, I don't know what you can do on defense, but what you can do at quarterback is maintain some form of stability, take care of the football, not make mistakes, and lean on your offensive line. And I think if you can do that against a team like Kentucky, you can win the game. Um, I, I still have concerns about the front seven and, and not being able to hold up because Georgia lined up and hit him in the mouth. And that's what Kentucky's going to try to do too, just with lesser talent. So I think that gives Tennessee a, a really good chance to win. This will be the, probably the second best team they've played. And, and I think it, they're, they're significantly worse than, than, than Georgia, but they are, I think, better, far better than South Carolina and and, and Missouri, even, even with the records the way they are right now. What's the more pitiful sounding score? 24 to nothing or 24 to two? I think 24 to two, especially when you throw, especially when you throw three times as many interceptions as points you scored. Oh. Uh, that's a hard thing to do also. This man um, comes out here and sets all kinds of records against LSU, which Bo Pelini seems to be a complete and utter incompetent. So that may, they, maybe that's a different – uh, different thing, but KJ Costello gets benched against Kentucky. How yeah. how have we come? The, the air raid thing is always going to be a question with Mike Leach, and we'll move on to bigger and more important topics in the SEC <laughs> here in just a second. But like, what what the hell? Well, I, I don't think. First of all, I think the question of again, this is, goes back to the is a, is so and so back. Like, will the air raid work in the SEC? Like, let's argue about it. Like, it's something that we can solve. Embrace no, the let's bait. Just, let's just look at fifteen years of coaching data under Mike Leach. And let's just use that for an example as to maybe determine an answer to that question, which is it's pretty successful. It's going to win a bunch of games. It's not going to win you championships. That's it. That's what it was at Texas tech. That's what it was at Washington state. It's what it was frankly at Kentucky when he started under Hal mummy in the nineties. And it is what's going to happen at Mississippi state. They are going to be competitive. They're going to be fun. They're going to score some points. Most of the time, smart defensive coordinators are going to get the better of him, which is if you watched Washington state against Washington every year, Washington just sat back in zone and, you know, dominated Mike Leach every year. And so there, there is a blueprint on how you can beat Mike Leach. The, this, the spread is, is all over the place in the SEC. So coaches are far more familiar with this than people think. Alabama's running a spread. LSU ran a spread. You know, outside of Georgia under Kirby Smart the last few years, which has been fairly unimaginative, everybody's being creative and running something different. Uh, some form of the spread. So it's really just not as, as, as big of an outlier as people think. And we've got almost two decades of data on how to stop it and, and how good it can be. So uh, Mississippi State's interesting. Your conference is better with Mike Leach in it, but he's not going to win SEC West titles. He's not going to compete for championships. 
And he's probably going to win some games he's not supposed to. And he's probably going to lose some games he's not supposed to. That's basically what he's done his entire career. I wouldn't expect that to change in, in Starkville. I actively root for him in a way that's unprofessional. Good. I actively root for Mike Leach. Uh, he seems to be an insane person, but I just, I cannot get I, it up. I, I've worked with him uh, doing, doing radio shows. And in the middle of commercial breaks, he would put the headset down. You could hear it hit the ground, hit the table. He, you could hear him pad through the, the, the very expensive outdoor patio he had in Key West you could hear a big giant splash and then you hear a wet feet pad their way back to the, to the <laughs> microphone, put on the headset and just slide right back into doing a radio show. He's like, uh, what, coach, where did you go? Well, I just took a dip. Love it. Love the, the show. Uh, this is going to sound like an obvious answer, but, or maybe, or an obvious, an obvious, maybe, maybe I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. You're good with words, Buck. I'm having a hard time today for whatever reason. Uh, This whole Tuesday football game thing has me totally out of sorts. I love it. Oh, God, I cannot stand (laughs) all of the things that it's done to my schedule. I'm a creature of habit. Regardless, it's about you. It's about you. Always. Every 10 times out of 10 about me, and they're just, they continue to kick me in the ass. Anyway, this may seem like an obvious pick between the two options that I'm going to give you, but in the SEC, which looks like the better hire? Lane Kiffin or Sam Pittman? Oh, what do you want? <laughs> do you want to I be want, inter- do you want to be entertained? Always. Or or do you want to I'm talking about for the purposes of the programs that they now coach. I, I, Lane Kiffin is the answer. Lane okay. Kiffin is so so Sam Pittman might be the best offensive line coach in America and clearly deserves some credit for what he's accomplished in a very short period of time. I mean, that's time. pretty impressive. I know it, they're it, one and two, but like it's pretty impressive what he's doing right now. No, it, it is. It's a, a very short window in a in a asterisk p- pandemic year. He hired great coordinators, which is the most important thing. He's gonna be everything he says and does is about recruiting, which is what he should be focused on. He he is an offensive like there are not many offensive line coach coaches that get hired to be head coaches as their first time head coaching job that find success. It's just not a thing. It's not a path that happens in, in, in any level of football, much less the sec. Uh, Lane Kiffin is a far more established, far, uh, you know, greater schematic X's and O's football mind. That will always be the case. I thought that was the best game he's ever called against Alabama. I know they lost, but my God, was that impressive. He, and I know he's not calling the plays, but, but that's what he's done again. That's what he's done his entire career. Like this is, oh. this is what I think is so hilarious about Tennessee fans. Again, go back to Oh nine. The only undefeated team Nick Saban has ever had in 2009 when they won the national championship, who played him tougher than anybody else. Lane Kiffin's Tennessee team lost 12 to 10 and Alabama had to block a field goal to win that game. That's the undefeated national champion Crimson Tide. Was that Terrence Cody? Terrence, the, the Mount Cody blocked the kick. And uh, again, which is, which is really funny because they went from 12, 10 in 2009 to like 63, 48. I, I think that was the final score. I tweeted out, uh, yeah. I think in the third quarter, first to 60, 63, 48, Alabama and Ole Miss. What if, I mean, it, he had to have been so pissed at that defense by the end of that game, but it was so much fun. Right, and the reason Tennessee fans stalked Lane Kiffin outside of his house and he needed a police escort leaving Knoxville isn't because you hated Lane Kiffin, Tennessee fans. It's because you knew he was a damn good football coach. And while he comes with lots of baggage, particularly right here under the jowls. Yeah, that uh, happened th- fast. There is, there's so much baggage there. But there is going to there's going to be high level offensive schematic execution. That's what he brings to the table, and we don't know that Sam Pittman does any of that yet. I know that Barry Odom, his defensive coordinator at Arkansas, is doing really good stuff right now, and I know that he's hired good people and he's a great recruiter. I would take Lane Kiffin right now, especially at Ole Miss, where it's it's okay to be a little little flamboyant, a little goofy, a little crazy, a little out there. You know, Arkansas has had a little bit of that too, but I, I just think I would go Lane Kiffin right now. I just think he's a far more established, more upside that kind of stuff. Um, and if you want to, and this is what I think everyone needs to listen to across the SEC, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Missouri, if you're going to try to compete with the Alabamas and Floridas and Georgias, you can't do what they're doing. You got to do something different. You have to try something, whether it's the triple option or the air raid, like Mike Leach, whatever, you can't try to out Alabama, Alabama. You can't just go try to recruit offensive linemen and run the football and, you know, you, you can't do that. You got to try different stuff and, and Lane Kiffin is different. And so that gives Ole Miss a chance to win some games. Uh, we'll put a bow on it this way with our SEC recap with Braden Gall of 440 Sports. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever it is that you get their multitude of podcasts that are apparently everywhere all over the internet. How, how many How many Titans podcasts is too many Titans podcasts? 
Uh, none, none, none. There's no number that's too many. I don't mm-hmm. believe. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, you know, the, well, the idea is to, especially not when you're housing like six of them. <laughs> yeah, and. and and, and look, it, w- w- we got so much stuff in the works, man. We got soccer coming. We got food and booze coming. We got all kinds of stuff coming. So don't, don't uh, keep your head on a swivel there. All right. Subscribe, write, and review. Okay. Uh, Bo Pelini, why? Yeah. I mean, obviously track record with LSU, longtime defensive coach, a guy who was pretty good back in the day, uh, but it does, not, it does not feel like. He looks so hapless yeah. out there. It's not it, like the, the game does pass people by eventually. And I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to say that yet with, with Bo Pelini, but you know, not really making too many adjustments in week one against Mississippi state. And now, now I will say that. And, and again, if you just say KJ Costello made his first start in the sec, Connor Bazelak made his first start in the sec for Missouri. And they threw for over a thousand yards on your defense. That's generally not a good statistic. And so I, I have concerns that, you know, John Chavis was a longtime defensive coordinator in the sec that, kept getting jobs and was solid, but it felt like the game had passed him by third and Chavis was a thing for Tennessee fans. That's why they, that's why they had that phrase. I think Polini, you know, you can start to look at this and go, some of it is absolutely the, the hangover for LSU. They've been on a nine month bender and the come down is bad right now. So that's part of it. The other problem is they lost their, you know, they lost their architect, Dave Aranda. They lost all the talent, you know, I think 20 out of 22 starters are gone. So it's not just Bo Polini's fault. It's, Definitely his fault, <laughs> but but it's not all his fault. Uh, it's a lot of other pieces that are the problem. And and the Basilite kid, man, I'm telling you, talk to some. I, I'd like to hear somebody, and I'm going to probably do this. I, I I'd like to hear scouts, NFL scouts. You you six three two twenty five, quick decision making. I really enjoy watching him play against Tennessee. Like he, he makes some incredible throws. That the scouts. I, I have no idea if he's a good NFL talent. No idea. Not a scout. But I can tell you what scouts like, and what scouts like is. Big-bodied, strong, big-armed, accurate quarterbacks that stand in the pocket and sling it all over the place. That's what scouts like. So I'm interested to see what the hype is like around around this kid because he's a he looked very good against LSU. He looked pretty good against Tennessee, frankly, and is clearly the guy for the next 35 games in, in Columbia, Missouri. Braden Gall, 440 Sports, same multitude of podcasts, Titans, Preds, media, uh, SEC, potentially food, booze, and many other things coming down. The line, very exciting stuff for our friend Braden Gall. We appreciate his time as always. Where do you want to set you if you have to if you have to pick one place to send people, Braden? Where do you <laughs> oh, want to the, send them? You're the expert on shilling to get people to come. You tell me. No, 440sports.com is the website. That'll give you a, a really great landing page to look at everything to find out what you like and what you care about. You know, little of this, little of that, taste this, taste that, try what you Try whatever you, you think and, and see what you like. The Daily Show comes out every morning at 4.40 a.m. because branding. Uh, and so, you know, lots of stuff out there. Just, just check it out. Rate, review, and subscribe. Share. Tell all your friends. All that good stuff. Austin and Zach were on yep. last week, so check that out. Eventually, we'll get Buck on, but I had to make sure you stayed in your place at A to Z Sports and knew where you were located in the hierarchy. So uh, The face of the franchise is where I'm located in the hierarchy. Braden Gall here on the 615 Sessions. Thank you, buddy. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Five good minutes on this Monday, Tuesday, whenever the hell it is you're hearing this podcast, <laughs> here on the 615 Sessions. It has been a wreck of, what is it, 12 days, 13 days at this point that we've all had to deal with with all the craziness going on, but we've handled it in stride, and so that's okay. We're happy to uh, we're happy to get you the podcast anytime, but we don't know exactly when you're going to be hearing this podcast for the sake of this uh, this Tuesday football game that we're all going to play. But we're going to talk about some reporting and some holes in a timeline, some lack of perspective, and a lot of different moving parts. First, I'm going to tell you about our friends who present the Zoom line here on the 615 Sessions podcast, and that is our good friends at Tame the Beast. GetBeast.com is where you go. Promo code BEAST2020 is how you save 20% off on all of their great grooming products. I love my products that I get courtesy of Tame the Beast. I have sitting on my desk in front of me the Hard Hair Clay, the Beast Body Lotion, the Beast Face Lotion, and Nut Butter. Literally every part of my body has a Beast product that I use. Earth-friendly, great products, good stuff from the earth. 
that's good for your skin. That's what they provide to you at Tame the Beast. Washes, shampoos, conditioners, soap, lotions, and shaving supplies featuring arousing scents and energizing properties. And they're all produced right here in the United States of America with globally sourced ingredients. Their stimulating scents are derived from all natural, intense botanicals you can feel. Like I said, good stuff from the earth like eucalyptus, ginseng, guarana, green tea, pomegranate, bok chuol, and moringa. You can get all of that and you can get it for 20% off with promo code BEAST2020 at getbeast.com. All right, five good minutes on this disaster uh, that we have been covering over the course of the last 10 plus days here in Nashville on your Ronaed Up Tennessee Titans. As the, at the time of this recording, this is being taped Monday morning at 8.11 a.m. There have been no new positive COVID-19 tests for the Titans. Now, this comes after a, a defensive assistant tested positive yesterday. The Titans still practiced, as you heard Matthew Fairburn and I discuss, but there has been a ton of... The word I'm looking for, I guess, is disparity between what we actually know, what's been reported, and what they are willing to tell us at this point. Because they're still under investigation by the NFL right now. And I know people don't want to call it an investigation. Kevin Byard really didn't like the term investigation when we spoke to him on, what was that, Saturday, I guess, before they ended up having another positive test on Sunday. He preferred to call it a review, an internal review by the league. But what has what has kind of transpired since last we spoke, Paul Kaharski reported that they held private workouts at two separate locations at Montgomery Bell Academy and at a, a public park on Belmont's campus. Now, Paul reported that some of these workouts happened on September the 30th. He has now since corrected his report to say that one of the workouts was held on the 29th. The difference being, the league told the Tennessee Titans to shut the facility down on the 29th, and at that point, the players were supposed to know that they were not to gather outside or inside of St. Thomas Sports Park, the team's practice facility. Now, I talked to some of these players because they saw this report by Paul and were immediately incensed. And this is kind of the thing that I wanted to walk you guys through how it is that we came to do this reporting because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known if Paul didn't put out that initial report. Now it stinks that Paul got it wrong or got part of it wrong. Doesn't invalidate the entire story, but it does give you guys the opportunity to beat up on him publicly, which stinks for him. Such is life. I think it's a good job that he put out the, the put out the apology, but at that point the damage is done. The Tennessee Titans have been nationally shamed because of that report that Paul Kaharski did. So the players freak out. On social media, you see A.J. Brown, you see Jeffrey Simmons, you see Roger Saffold, all of these guys, and that's just the ones who got on Twitter. So I had a bunch of dudes reach out to me, and I was I was doing some due diligence on it as well, trying to figure out, okay, who was where, when did this take place, when exactly were you told not to gather? And the thing that came back resoundingly from the players was that they were not told to gather until October the 1st. That's two days after the league says it told the organization, the Tennessee Titans organization, to shut it down, no gatherings elsewhere. Now, the players didn't have anything in writing. They had that game coming up against Pittsburgh because, remember, that game was not canceled until Friday of that week. Thursday, October 1st is when they were told that they they could not gather, so they were trying to hold some kind of organized workout, uh, independently organized workout, independent of the Tennessee Titans, but you know people had to know within that organization that this was going to be done. When Ryan Tannehill is calling the uh, the president or whatever the position, the, I, don't, I don't know if it was a chancellor or president, some governing entity at Montgomery Bell Academy to reserve the football field for them to work out publicly where high school, uh, high school kids could just take pictures of them running around on the football field and send it to Paul, which, by the way, is, is, fu- is a funny visual unto itself. Uh, the idea of uh, Kaharski sn- snooping around NBA, getting tips from high school kids. But regardless, the point stands that until recently we had not heard from Mike Vrabel. Saturday was the first time that we talked to him in quite some time. And all the while, 
this stuff is swirling around. Eric Ebron, the Steelers' tight end, is calling for forfeits. You see executives across the league anonymously just absolutely obliterating the Tennessee Titans in Mike Sandoz, what did he call it, Execs Unleashed, (laughs) I think was the title of the article, where they're just seeing an opportunity to knife one of their competitors in the side and take the Tennessee Titans down that way, regardless of whether these same violations are being committed in 31 other facilities around the league. And let me make let me make all of this clear. They did something wrong. Like, there's clear. For them to have, what, now 24 in total positive COVID-19 tests between players, coaches, and staff, somebody got it wrong. Somebody did not handle a situation correctly, and ultimately the onus falls on John Robinson and Mike Vrabel. But... As we sit here moving forward with this thing, the league has now implemented new and improved COVID-19 protocols, which to me is an admitted fault on the part of the league that the COVID-19 protocols were not good enough. These teams were always going to find ways to skirt the rules, regardless of how seriously they've taken the global pandemic, whether, you know, just because like every part of society, there are people who take it seriously. There are people who don't take it seriously. The same thing applies for every uh, professional football organization and for the people who work inside of it. Uh, This is the situation. But as we look at this and we look at the reporting out of this story, it is so the thing that the thing that I come back to time and time again is that there are multiple places to assign blame. You can blame the players who should not have gathered regardless of whether they were allowed to by the league or not. And I know a lot of people have different different uh, different opinions on this because you want to see your players continue to prepare for a game in the inevitability that they would have had to play that game against the Steelers, regardless if they had these COVID-positive COVID tests, even if they tested positive that day, the wise choice would not would to have been not to gather. You can disagree on that if you want. And you can blame them if you want. I don't think it was a good idea, even if I think they were justified in what they were telling me about we were not told until October 1st, specifically, not to gather. I will accept that and also think that it was not a smart idea by them. You can blame Mike Vrabel and John Robinson and the coaching staff and the the people who are supposed to make that facility that to this point has remained closed for a good while now, reopening for a day on Saturday and then having to shut down again when they had another positive test yesterday, despite holding this secret practice that all the media are pissed about, but none of you care about. These are These are personal problems. You can blame them. You can blame the league for getting ahead in the PR race to put the blame on the Titans. And then as we saw all of the games played on Sunday, you saw how many different coaches across the league were not wearing masks on the sideline, how many people were not implementing the proper social distancing protocol throughout the course of this, uh, uh, throughout the course of Sunday's slight. And, and the, hu- the hypocrisy is exposed, right? These people who are taking shots at the Titans They can be right, and they can also be doing it for the wrong reasons. Like, all of these things have to be taken under consideration. But the thing that that hits me the hardest at all of this, and I'll leave you with this, is that it is our responsibility as reporters for your team to get these things right. The details have to be buttoned up. And to this point, it has not gone as smoothly as any of us would have liked. The thing that I will say to you on the way out the door is, because a lot of you are dragging Paul Kaharski, who is a regular guest co-host on this podcast, who is my friend, and frankly, maybe I'm more willing to stick up for him than, than other people would, because I have learned how to do my job from Paul. He's one of the people, he and Tehran and Joe uh, and Teresa and all of my Titans media family, like I've kind of grown up professionally in that media room. I have taken things from all of these people to learn how to do my job better. And yeah, Paul should have got Paul should have done better. He should have gotten it right. But the important thing was that he put out the correction after the fact. And I understand that the details in it were very much up for dispute. But you have to understand that it's not our job to treat the team gently just because we cover them. We do not work we do not work for the Tennessee Titans. Our job is to give you the information whether you want to hear it or not, and then it's your choice how you're going to receive it. Do not beat up on the people who are just trying to keep you informed about these things going on with your professional football team. Doesn't make them a snitch. Doesn't make them a rat. 
Just means he's trying to do his job. Now, could he have done it better? Yeah, sure. I've told him that. We've talked about it. These things happen. Uh, and next time, you know, he should be held to that same expectation. And if he continues to get stuff wrong, then well, then you guys can, then you guys can get out there and keep dragging him. But ultimately, the job was to expose what the hell was going on with the Tennessee Titans football team. And Paul, if it had not been for Paul exposing that initial NBA workout, we would not have the player's perspective, and we would not know as much as we do about this particular Tennessee Titans investigation. Hopefully, they'll play football. We'll see. At the time of this taping, they're playing football, and I hope so, because I'm so bored. (laughs) I'm so ready to get back to covering the NFL. I tweeted on Sunday that I I felt so out of it, because I haven't covered a football game in two Sundays. I was supposed to cover the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Tennessee Titans, now the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans. One of these things remains on track. We will see, with obviously the adjusted schedule. But I'm ready to get back to work, and I know you guys are ready to talk about actual football rather than what COVID-19 has done to football. But it's always going to be hovering over the top. And that's going to do it for us today. Five good minutes here on the 615 Sessions podcast. Shouts to Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and to Braden Gall of 440 Sports for being our guest today. You guys need to support the people that support this show. That's Two Rivers Ford and Tame the Beast. TwoRiversFord.com. Get Beast.com. Promo code BEAST2020. Saves you 20% off all of their great grooming products. When we come back, when next we speak, Blaine Bishop is going to be one of the guest co-hosts. And I'm working to confirm who we're going to put alongside him. Because I think it's going to be an absolutely explosive conversation. Hopefully, by the time we next speak, there will have been a football game played. And we can talk about it at length. In the meantime, I need you to stay clean. Stay safe, and of course, stay hot, Nashville. This has been the 615 Sessions Podcast, powered by Two Rivers Ford, brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com.